1: This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 239.
2: It does feel very daunting to start from scratch and feel like, oh my gosh, I have so much to do and I have no audience, nobody is listening, nobody is watching, nobody's reading, but there's something really beautiful about
1: that. Hey there, and welcome to the Read to Lead podcast. This is the place for personal and professional growth. I'm Jeff, and if you desire to achieve true success in business and in life, then intentional and consistent reading is a must. The Read to Lead podcast is going to help you hopefully narrow that reading list at least to about 50 books a year, if that's narrowing it, uh, and bring you key insights and valuable ideas from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors. Today, we have a returning author with us. In fact, that's the case for the next couple of weeks as well. We're going to be joined by Pamela Wilson. Her brand new book out now is called Master Content Strategy, How to Maximize Your Reach and Boost Your Bottom Line Every Time You Hit Publish. You may have heard me ask the question before, if you're a part of a business or a brand and you're not creating content, why not? Well, maybe the reason why not, if that is indeed the case for you, is because it's hard, or at least That's the thinking anyway. Well, Pamela is going to unpack the process for us so it doesn't have to be. I'll be asking her to share why it's important to create content that multitasks. We'll discuss Pamela's lifecycle approach to content strategy. She'll answer how to supercharge your content's impact and a lot more. And oh, by the way, if you'd like to dig in a little deeper and find links and resources to the things that we talk about today, they're all set up for you at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 239 for episode 239. Pamela Wilson has been helping people get their ideas out into the world uh, since I was a wee lad. No, just kidding. Uh, since <laughs> 1987. Uh, trust me, I'm older than Pamela. Uh, <laughs> she started her career as a marketing consultant and graphic designer and began her online business, BigBrandSystem.com, in early 2010. At Big Brand System, she helps ambitious people build online businesses based on their hard-earned expertise and without the usual overwhelm. She does this through a number of means, free content on her site, targeted programs, coaching, and her mastermind group. Now, you may recall that Pamela first appeared on Read to Lead to talk about her last book, Master Content Marketing. Uh, That was back in November of 2016, which is a companion to her brand new book. And that book is called Master Content Strategy, How to Maximize Your Reach and Boost Your Bottom Line Every Time You Hit published. Pamela, welcome back to Read to Lead.
2: Thank you so much, Jeff. I'm thrilled to be back.
1: Well, one of the things I want to start off asking you is a little bit about the, the companion nature of these two books and, and more specifically, what prompted you to write this book? Why did you feel like you had to get this out?
2: I did feel like I had to get it out as you said, I coach people, I have a mastermind group. And what I saw in working with people who were building online businesses is that they they kind of suffered from comparison. Mm-hmm. It's so easy for us to compare what we're doing in our own businesses with what our competition is doing online. Do you you and I are of an age where you remember that to do competitive analysis, you used to have to call companies and ask them to mail you a brochure. <laughs> do you remember that?
1: Oh, I do. I do.
2: It wasn't that long ago. But nowadays, it's so easy to see immediately. I mean, just bring it up in seconds. You can see what your competition is doing. And it people suffer from that, really. If you're in the early days, you look at somebody who has a really well-established online business and you just feel like you're not there. So what I have realized is that every single person who has a successful online presence started from scratch. And that's why I wanted to write the book. I wanted to talk about this this life cycle that happens as you're putting together your content, your online content, and your website, and how Your role with your content and your website needs to change over the years. So, you know, everybody starts from scratch, but there's a way that you can grow year by year, step by step, that makes it feel less overwhelming and Mm. and just reassures you that you're doing the right thing at the right time.
1: I'm I'm so glad you you said that. Start from scratch. Everybody starts from scratch because I think new people often don't realize that. When I work with with podcast clients, oftentimes I'll get questions about, well, you know, how many did you have, you know, on your email list, Jeff, when you started your podcast, or how many people should I have, or is it possible to start an interview based podcast and not have you know a huge network? Do you have to be a part of the club, quote unquote, that everybody seems mm. to be in? Uh, and and the answer to that is uh, as you just articulated is 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 no. I started from scratch and nobody knew who I was when I started this podcast. I didn't have a, a major online presence. It's it's a marathon, not a sprint. You can grow that work, that content into 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 something you know fairly large, and it and it comes down to I think consistency more than anything else.
2: I have to tell you the other piece of this that I don't see anyone talking about is that. You know, it is, it does feel very daunting to start from scratch and feel like, oh my gosh, I have so much to do and mm-hmm. I have no audience. Nobody is listening. Nobody is watching. Nobody's reading. But there's something really beautiful about that. <laughs> because in the early days, you are learning as well. As a content creator, you are learning. And so it's inevitable that you're going to mess up. You know, you'll, you'll, a link will be broken or you'll get off track with your schedule for publishing your podcast episodes. Those kinds of things happen more often in the early days because you just don't have as much experience, but how awesome that you don't have a huge audience to notice those mistakes. (laughs) So, right. So I, You know, it's it's daunting to feel like you're building your audience from scratch, but it's also kind of wonderful that you don't have as many people watching in the early days when you're learning.
1: You know, as I've read through the book, one of the things that it made me think of, you know, we're talking about individuals building online businesses. Uh, But I think about the traditional business owner too, the brick and mortar business owner. I I read an article from Chris Brogan about a month ago, I think on LinkedIn, and and the title of it was every company must make media. But but will you I'd love to get your your take on that. And it makes me think of my time in radio between 2008. And when I left in 2013, and how we were grappling with realizing that it was a mistake to put sort of our our eggs in the distribution basket, you know, radio is stuck in that, well, it's radio, it's distributed a specific way. And so that's the way it's always going to be when in reality, we, we eventually realize that you know, we're not in the radio business, we're in the compelling content creation business. So what would you say to the traditional business owner or employee who's thinking, how do I apply this to, to the company?
2: You're right. There's so much opportunity for us to see content as something that will expand and help us to expand it to different media types. So for example you see radio entities like NPR is a great example mm. radio entities that start out really just as broadcast radio organizations and they expand into websites and pages that you can read and then they have they feature video and you know there are all these different ways that they can expand and so if you take that down to the small business owner or somebody who's building a small website property We can do the same thing. However, Mm -hmm. many of us don't have a huge staff of people. Like, we don't have somebody that we can say, okay, I want you to develop my video presence, or I want you to develop my, you know, if you're um, a radio entity and what you're broadcasting is audio, I want you to develop my written presence. Mm -hmm. We don't have those people. So, part of what I'm doing in Master Content Strategy is showing people a way that they can spend the first year. Basically, just building their skills as a content creator and publishing content consistently and frequently so that they can establish their presence on their website or on whatever platform they use. So, for example, for podcasters, so that they can establish their presence as a podcast. So that's what I recommend is that you just spend that first year building your foundation, Starting in year two, though, you can then start expanding and thinking about, okay, where am I going to hop to next? Mm-hmm. What's the next island over that I can go to so I can expand my presence on other platforms? So that's where I start talking about repurposing your content and finding ways to, to just build a presence elsewhere.
1: You're describing what you refer in the book, I believe, as the the life cycle approach, right? It's kind of year one is this, year two through five is this, et cetera.
2: Exactly. So I have specific recommendations for the different life cycle stages. I call them life cycle stages of your website growth Mm. because I do think there are certain things we need to focus on in the first year. And, and more importantly, there are a lot of things that we can ignore safely mm. in that first year, right? And th- again, this is where the whole comparison thing comes, comes into play because we see our competitors – on all these different networks and they have a presence and they're they it feels like they're all over the place. But these are people who've been in business for seven, eight, nine years. Mm. And it's just it's not fair to ourselves to compare our own businesses that are just getting off the ground with a business that is well established, that has a content process in place, and then has the the bandwidth to really expand into these other places. So those days will come. But I'm basically telling people, don't worry about them in the first year, just focus on developing your skills and building your presence in the first year. And that will build a firm foundation under everything that you do.
1: As the years progress and you're able to practice more and more, Pamela, in public with with your content, what would you say are some methods that you and other creatives use to to make creating your, your best work actually fairly simple? Can you give us some specific strategic examples?
2: I shared this process in my first book and then I reviewed it very briefly in the second book just to kind of reinforce it. So, as a creative person, you know, I started my career as a designer mm. and. The first five years of my career, I worked in a studio, which was awesome because I would work on things, and then you always get to this point in a project where you just can't see it anymore. (laughs) It may have problems, it may have issues, but you just can't even see it. You're kind of blind to it. So, what I would do at that point is I would pick it up off my drafting table and walk it to the cubicle next door and just say, "What am I not seeing? Like, what's wrong with this?" And the designer next door could always say, "You know, why don't you try." moving this there or try a different color for this element or something. They could always spot the error that I could not see at that point. So I did that for the first five years and then I was on my own. I started my own business and I realized right away that I really missed that. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I was like, where am I going to get feedback on my work? I don't know if I can make it good all by myself. So I kind of stumbled into this thing that is actually the way a lot of creative people do their work. It's how artists work and writers and it is this idea that you do a piece of your project and then you step away and you leave it alone and you do something else and then when you come back to it it's like you can see it again it's like the blinders have been taken off your eyes and you can see it again with fresh eyes so I developed this process it's the four-day content creation system that is basically a system where you're walking away from the content you create several times so that every time you come back to it you can see what it needs
1: I I so appreciated that because I tend to, when I create content, to block out time uh, and and approach it with a mindset that I've got to get all of this completed in that block of time. And hearing your methods really kind of help free my mind up to realize, well, that's not the only way to do it. There are other ways and probably better ways than that to do it. I
2: mean, the thing is, I think our minds are so powerful. So if you do a piece of your content and then walk away you feel like you're taking a break, but your brain is still working on that. Mm -hmm. So when you come back to it, you will have not only fresh eyes, but you'll also have fresh ideas and fresh input. And I mean, it's happened to me more than once that I start a piece of content and then I'm doing something completely unrelated, like washing dishes, (laughs) right? And I'll be like, oh, I know what I need to say, or I know the (laughs) example, or I know the perfect analogy. It just hits you when you you're not really actively even thinking about it.
1: Something else that, that you talk about that I think you mentioned is part of that transition from year one into year two, if I'm not mistaken. But the recommendation is to begin creating content on a weekly basis and then allow yourself or give yourself permission then to create maybe longer form content. But less often, like maybe every other week. And that was great advice. I have a client I was talking to just a couple of days ago who has been creating weekly content for nearly two years and he's approaching burnout. He's like, I don't know how much longer I can keep this up. And I said, well, I've got this book I can recommend.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, you know, uh, here's the thing. The first year is all about establishing that foundation. You've gotta Mm -hmm. get that content in place and it's so that you build your skills, but it's also so the search engines start to find your material, right? So when you publish consistently like that every week, it's great. I mean, you're building your skills, you're letting the search engines know that you are a trustworthy, consistent resource that is publishing fantastic content. So all of that is good. But what I say in the book is if I was your athletic coach and we had worked together for a full year to improve your, I don't know, running speed or mm-hmm. something, right? Mm-hmm starting in year two, I would likely do something to increase the complexity because you're that much better. So I need to continue to challenge you. And as a content creator, I feel the same way. I think that's the moment you've established your skills and you built skills and you have this great content foundation on your website. And that's where you can say, you know what, I'm going to dial it back to every other week, but I'm going to try to write pieces that are longer. And I'm going to start thinking about how, I can expand onto other platforms with my content. And I don't recommend that you do seven platforms. I recommend (laughs) you find one, one where you think your audience is already hanging out. And then you just, for every piece of content you create, you create an additional something that goes on that platform. So if your audience is on YouTube, you do a short video introduction to your content, for example, and then you post it on YouTube. If you have a huge audience on LinkedIn, maybe you do a Slide share since they own SlideShare, mm. and you put something on SlideShare that complements your post, and then you can also post that on LinkedIn. You want to think strategically about where you'll expand your reach onto, and you also want to build on what's comfortable for you. So if you cannot stand the sound of your voice, (laughs) which I bet you have a lot of people who are like, I can't do a podcast because I don't like the sound of my voice. So if that's you, then don't try to do audio, do something that you know you can create, but also think about where your audience is already hanging out.
1: Excellent advice. You devote a chapter, Pamela, to uh, targeted content. Uh, can you can you unpack that for a moment? What what does that look like, and what what is targeted content exactly?
2: The way I like to think about targeted content is understanding the level of knowledge of the people who are arriving on your site, and mm. making sure that you're creating content for all those different levels of knowledge. So I divide them into categories: very simple ones, beginner, intermediate, and advanced. Mm. And what I recommend is that people people make sure that they are always serving beginners. So one of the things that I see happen is that you decide to write about a topic. You choose a topic and you're going to write about it and you're going to build an online business around this topic. As you write all that content, your understanding of the topic expands. I mean, you just get smarter about it. You've done a lot of research about it, a lot of thinking. And so the way you can talk about it becomes more advanced. So what happens sometimes is when you're not aware of that, you start writing increasingly more sophisticated content and you lose the beginners. And there are a lot of beginners out there and they are doing web searches. They're doing web searches because oftentimes they don't have anyone they can ask in person. So they're asking Google and you want to make sure that you're serving those people because eventually they start out as beginners, but then they move to an intermediate level of knowledge and a more advanced level of knowledge, and people who are in those intermediate and advanced categories oftentimes are ready to really step it up, and they want to buy a product or a service that you offer around your topic. So if you think about this concept of a sales funnel that most of us in marketing talk about, the idea is that at the top of the funnel, you have these beginners who are coming in looking for information, and not all of them will continue down and become intermediate or advanced readers. But you want to make sure you're always serving those beginners because that's kind of the magnet that's going to attract the audience that you build.
1: Mm. I apply that to my podcast coaching as well. I talk about a worldview and framing it from a camera angle relevant to the listener. And clients will say, well, once I've done that, you know, 20 episodes, I'm, I don't need to do that anymore. Right. And my answer is always no, because even 100, 200, 300 episodes in, there's always somebody showing up who's never been here before.
2: Exactly. And
1: you've got to on ramp that person, too. Right. Right. Well, this is something I personally struggle with, and I'm really kind of asking it out of selfishness. But, but how do you recommend content creators fit promotions into their content strategies?
2: Yeah, I'm so glad you asked this because <laughs> I think it's really tough. It involves a little bit of planning, which some people, content creators sometimes like to fly by the seat of their pants. It seems more (laughs) exciting that way. However, there's a lot to be said for just stepping back every so often. So I actually have kind of a, a plan or a map in the book where you can approach your content from an annual, a quarterly and a monthly perspective. Mm. And the idea is all of those plans are written in pencil because, (laughs) you know, because we have to respond to what's going on in our lives and in the world and in our businesses. So you write them in pencil, knowing that there's a chance that they'll be erased. But the way I like to think about promotions is let's imagine you have a quarter's worth of blank calendar pages. Mm. So you have three months in front of you. So you look at those pages and it's like a jar that you're going to drop rocks in to Mm -hmm. so you drop in the big rocks first those are the actual promotions so you kind of look at your calendar and you block out dates like on these dates i will be actively promoting Mm. this this thing right and you put those into the calendar and then like if we go back to our jar i'm i'm Doing concurrent analogies here. So I hope you're keeping up. And we've got calendar pages and rocks in a jar. So, okay. So we dropped in the big rocks. Those are the promotion dates, the actual live promotion dates. And then we have pebbles that we drop Mm. into the jar. And those are like the warm up dates for your promotion. So in any promotion, you know, you don't just say, hey, I have this thing for sale. (laughs) The best thing you can do is to let your audience know, next week, I have this thing I'll be promoting, there's a special price or there are limited seats or something to get them excited about Mm. it and let them know it's coming. So that's kind of the warm up period. And those are like the the pebbles, right? Mm. So You get that blocked out on your calendar. You know what date you're going to be selling the thing. And then you block out some days beforehand where you're doing kind of warm-up content. And this doesn't mean that the entire piece of content is all about the warm-up for your promotion. It just means that in your piece of content, you are mentioning that you're going to have something for sale. So it's warming people up to the idea. And then the rest of the time, the time that's left over, you are creating either engagement content or informational type content that just continues to build your audience. Does that make sense?
1: Makes perfect sense. I'm loving this conversation and then and reading the book. I, you know, I've i been doing this for a while, but I still uh, have learned all kinds of, of new techniques and strategies along the way. So, so thank you for this. Um, much of what we've asked Pamela about uh, thus far has come out of parts one and two of her book. In part three, uh, she dedicates it to what she calls, and I love this, supercharging your content impact. Pamela, what's some advice from this section that you can, oh, I don't know, cherry pick for us, if you will?
2: <laughs> well, that part of the book is really about, it's sort of, you know, I even say in this section of the book, like, if you're in the first year, please don't let this part of the book intimidate <laughs> you because it, it can feel a little bit overwhelming. Like, I have to do all that extra stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, Um, So it's not for people who are in that first foundational year. But once you get beyond that and you're ready to really expand into different areas, then you can start thinking about things that will build your email list and ways that you can gather an audience from other places besides just on your website. So you can think about things like content upgrades do you want me to quickly explain what those are?
1: Yeah, yeah. I've used them off and on, not as consistently as I as I would like. But I think it would be great to to cover that and, and, and talk about why they work so well.
2: Two different concepts here. We have the opt-in incentive and then we have the content upgrade. And I think people get them mixed up sometimes. Mm. So an opt-in incentive is something that you offer on your site that is kind of universal to your topic, mm. right? So um, let's say that you are a podcast coach. So you may have a list of resources. You may have a list of like equipment that you offer on your site. Mm. I'm a podcast coach. These are the best mics and this is the best sound insulation that you can buy so that you can have great sound when you record your podcast. Mm. So let's say that that would be an opt-in incentive that is kind of universal to your topic. But then you have a piece of content that is about a specific thing. Like, let's say, interviewing skills. Mm. So then you create what is called a content upgrade that is specific to that piece of content. It's something that complements the content. So it's kind of like the piece of content is the meal and the content upgrade is like a dessert mm. that you add on to it. So if people are really into that piece of content, they're going to give you their email address so they can also get the dessert because <laughs> that has additional information. Maybe it's got a swipe file for questions you can ask in an interview, something like that. So the content exists on its own and it's very valuable, but then you just offer additional information in the content upgrade. And what I recommend is You know, people look at that and they think, oh my gosh, I already wrote this 2,500 word post and I have to create something else. Well, first of all, you don't have to write a 2,500 word post. It doesn't have to be that extensive. But anyway, when you're creating the content upgrade, well, you want to think more like a dessert. Something that's just like a little snacky thing that people can consume quickly, put to work right away and enjoy. It could be literally like a two-page checklist. It could be a quick worksheet so the people can work out an idea that you've presented in the piece of content. It doesn't have to take that long to create. But the idea is that if you have a piece of content that you really want to gather an audience around. So a lot of people, when you think about this strategically, like, let's go back to our podcast coach. Mm. Let's say that person is going to start offering one on one sessions. So they're very motivated to gather a list of people who they know are interested in getting better at podcasting. Mm. So they create this content upgrade around a piece of content, and they know that everyone who signs up for that content upgrade is interested in getting better at podcasting. Hmm. So then later on, when they have this promotion, guess who they're going to send it to? <laughs> <laughs> they have, they've gathered a list of people who they know are interested in the topic. So that's what content upgrades can really do, is to just help you to understand what people are interested in so that you can maybe make them an offer of something that will help them later on.
1: Well, I've got a couple of questions I want to ask you, Pam, that aren't directly related to the book, if I may. But before I do that, I always like to ask if there's anything else from the book that you want to make sure we, we walk away with.
2: I you know, the main reason and I told you at the top of the interview, the main reason I wanted to write this is I, I really want to convey a message like a message of hope in a way. Right. That if you allow yourself to grow with your website content, you're going to feel less overwhelmed by the whole process and and your confidence will grow and your skills will build Mm. naturally so I just want to ask people like don't don't compare (laughs) and don't put a lot of pressure on yourself just see it as a process and and follow it step by step so that you can grow with your website over the years and it I mean it becomes fun when you approach it like that Mm.
1: Well, when you were last here, you were kind enough to recommend a couple of books, and I will remind you of those before I ask this next question. You recommended to us uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Right. And you recommended Predictable Success, Getting Your Organization on the Growth Track and Keeping It There by less is it McEwen?
2: Yeah, I don't know. Right. That sounds good.
1: <laughs> um, so I'd be curious to know in the last two years since you were here, what have you read in that time that it sticks out as as having been a book that, that more people need to be reading?
2: One of the things that is like an unadvertised bonus of coaching with me is that mm. I send people books. <laughs> so, I, you know, I'll be talking to them and I'll just realize like, oh, I have the perfect book. And mm. so I'll send them a book. I've sent this one out several times. There's a book called The Thought Leadership leader's practice. And the author's name is Matt Church. Mm. This book, okay, so you know The E-Myth by Michael Gerber, right? Yeah. So The E-Myth is all about getting yourself out of your business and building a staff so that you're not doing any of the work yourself and kind of building a business that you can sell. Basically, right. that's Michael Gerber's whole thing. And there's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely nothing wrong. But what I loved about the thought leader's practice is that it's an alternative Way to do business. And it was one that really resonated with me. Mm. So, the thought leaders practice, the approach that Matt Church takes is rather than think about a business that is independent of you, that you can step away from and sell, think about building a business where you are truly the thought leader and you're the expert that people are coming to see. So, Mm. for an example of that would be, you know, being a surgeon. If you're a surgeon, people come to see the surgeon. They're not. Not really there to see the office staff and they're not there to see the receptionist. They really want to see the surgeon because the surgeon has some expertise that they can't get anywhere else. And he shows a way that you can actually build your business around this concept. And it was a huge relief to me when I read that, because I I always felt a little bit uncomfortable about this idea of like, I want to build a business that I can step away from, because I don't know about you, but I actually really enjoy business. (laughs) I I love it. I love, you know, I've been in business for myself for more than 26 years at this point. I love it. I, I love building it. I love iterating and exploring different things. And and so this idea that I would be able to step away, like I would ask myself, like, I'm going to step away. And then what do I do? Like, <laughs> what am I supposed to do? I really enjoy business. So I loved that book. The Thought Leader's Practice was, I just thought it was such a great approach because he shows you how to make that viable as well.
1: Well, I love that recommendation. It's not one I've had before. And, and it's certainly the other side of an argument I'm, I've been hearing a lot about lately. So I'm, I'll be interested to check that one that one out. Well, I've been able to see Pamela speak in a number of different settings. Uh, most recently was back in April when she was kind enough to, to come to a mastermind weekend I had put together with some clients and, and, and speak to them and was very, very well received. And Pamela and I are already talking about maybe having her back sometime very, very soon. As a successful speaker, what are, what are some of the tips that you would give for delivering a talk that's meaningful and impactful and, and going to be memorable to, to your audience?
2: Uh, There are kind of like two big categories of speeches. There's Mm. your keynote speech, Mm. and then there's your speech speech, which is usually more of like a training session, right? People bring you in because you have knowledge around a topic. And they want to present that knowledge to their audience so your audience, their audience can benefit from it. So for example, the talk that I gave to your group, that was very much a training session. I wasn't there to, you know, it wasn't like a rah-rah inspirational (laughs) keynote speech, which is generally that's what a keynote speech is supposed to do is to maybe convey a little bit of information, but mostly convey like a feeling, Mm, right? right. Um, Get people excited and either get them excited at the beginning of an event or to send them off feeling excited at the end of an event. So there's knowing what your speech needs to do. I think that's kind of the first thing. But then the other thing I think is to really pare down how much information you're trying to get across because I think people oftentimes feel like, you know, I'm, I have expertise, so I'm gonna bring my entire career's worth of expertise and try to convey it in this speech. I mean, oftentimes in the setting where you're delivering a speech, yours is not the only speech that they have seen that day. So they've been absorbing information all day long. So I always try to kind of minimize. I I try to make three points and no more. Mm. And then you give the presentation some kind of a structure. It's easy to follow. So you've got an introduction and then you've got the content. And I mean, you've seen how I do slides. I tend to have almost like chapter pages, like at the beginning of a new section, you have kind of a visual slide to say, "Okay, we're going into a new section. And so there are things like that that help to convey the structure visually Mm -hmm. that I think can make the information easier to understand as well.
1: Well, uh, now that the, the book is out, it may be premature to ask this because I would imagine the, the coming weeks will be all about promotion of that book. But if you were to look ahead beyond the release of this book, uh, what's around the corner that, that you're excited about and able to talk about?
2: I like to keep myself engaged in lots of things at once. But I actually started a community in September of 2018 mm. called The Big League, And it's for online business builders. It's for people who are trying to develop an online presence. So I'm working on building that community. I attracted some amazing people Mm. in the initial group. I mean, really, uh, you know, I call them they're they're in the big league. So they're on the (laughs) team. Right. So these are team members and they're really, really like high level, smart people. And they're all building online businesses, they bring lots of different life experiences to the table. So it's been fascinating to work with them. So that's going to be my big push over the next few months is to attract more people to the big league, because it's it's a great place for people to understand how to put together an online business at a very reasonable monthly rate. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, where, where can we find out more information about that? The BigBrandSystem.com?
2: Yes, people can find it at BigBrandSystem.com. If they go to any piece of content on the site right now, there's a, a bar at the top where you can click on a button and go straight to the page that tells you more about the big league. And I'm in the process of developing a webinar that I'll have available so people can see that and learn more about it that way as well.
1: Awesome. Well, the name of the new book, again, is Master Content Strategy, How to maximize your reach and boost your bottom line every time you get published. Pamela, thank you so much for being here. appreciate you sharing your expertise and and spending a few minutes with us today.
2: I really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun, Jeff. Thank you.
1: Again, to dive into the resources and links, Pamela and I talked about the show notes page for this episode can be found at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 239. If this episode has helped you in some way or you have feedback for us, you can write to me directly, Jeff at readtoleadpodcast.com. Well, that does it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next time. Until then, remember, leaders read and readers lead.